0: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports Podcast. This is the show where I talk to people in the sports world about the things they love away from sports, anything and everything Just Not Sports. I'm your host, Brad Burke, a sports marketer in Chicago, and I'm super excited to be kicking off an entirely new season of Just Not Sports. On today's show, we have two-time NCAA championship coach, once with Kentucky, once with Louisville. He is Mr. Rick Pitino. So I want to get into a little bit of the backstory about getting Rick on the show. Um, As you know, maybe you've heard uh, words kind of been going around. Rick no longer in the, uh, in the coaching world as an active uh, NCAA coach Uh, kind of famously lost his job with Louisville in the past two years here, as he uh, has been embroiled in the NCAA scandal kind of unfolding across the nation. Uh, You know, there's, Uh, you know, accusations of recruits getting paid, accusations of AAU and sneaker companies arranging for uh, certain athletes to go to certain schools or get uh, money under the table. There's been some talk about whether um, escorts at Louisville were involved uh, for recruits, all that stuff. So just to bring you behind the business of the show, I mean, these are things I always weigh when we think about are we going to have somebody on? You know, I do my best to sort of stay away from the problematic people in the sports world, people who have been involved with domestic abuse, people who have been involved with um, really uh, bad situations with the law. And I had a long talk with my wife about this. I mean, she was an athlete in college, and I kind of said, I'll be honest, I don't really care about NCAA (laughs) payments and scandals. It does not rile me up the way that I get riled up about uh, you know, air quotes, cr- like big crimes, you know, uh, abuse, uh, violence, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. My wife, you know, she was, feels a little differently, you know, she's she's kind of like, you know, as an athlete, as someone who, who won, you know, D3 national titles in college, you know, she takes the ethics of the sports world pretty seriously. Um, you know, that said, it's Rick Pitino, man. I couldn't resist. I was like, I got to get coach on the show. I want to break down what this guy's about, Away from sports, because when I think about coaches at the highest level, all I think about is they're watching game film, they're on the recruiting trail, they're doing crazy stuff. I've always wanted to sit down with like a, a championship caliber coach and just say, what do you do with your time? And and now that Rick has, you know, a little bit more time <laughs> than he did when he was actively coaching, it was really interesting for me to sit down and talk to him about, you know, what's this adjustment been like going from you know, all day, every day to, you know, you wake up and you have a full 24 hours to fill with not basketball. You know, you're on the outside looking in. So, all that said, my format of the show, as as you know, if you've listened to Just Not Sports, we don't talk about sports. So, Rick's got a new book out. It's called My Story. It's his side of his scandals. I, you, know, I, you know, pick it up, check it out if you want to go deep on that. Also, uh, just because my format's not really built for, uh, you know, Scrutinizing and diving into all the nuances of, of his book and, and and the current scandal, I'm not trying to like you know uh, whitewash that. There's plenty of other outlets that I would refer you to to go check that out. For starters, you know Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports, he's got his fingers on the pulse of pretty much everything about the NCAA scandal that's currently unfolding, the court cases, um, all that kind of stuff. Go check out his coverage. Um, I, I you know if you want to hear more about how Rick actually is processing the you know the the, the particulars of. Uh, what's going on check out his uh, I think he's done two interviews with Dan Patrick you can find online um, that's pretty interesting and and then I would also refer people one shining podcast Mark Titus who's been on this show before uh, Tate Frazier they host a kind of a lighthearted, hearted fun uh, pod about college basketball and the culture around it they did an entire review episode of Rick's book uh, very tongue in cheek very sarcastic and actually you hear me allude a little bit later in the interview with Rick to uh, to, to something uh, Titus had actually uh, brought up about just the overall spirit and tone of the book. So those are good sources if you want to get more information about what's actually going on with the NCAA. I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm just saying I'm not concerned about it in the same way that I am other parts of the uh, sports world. And and I was still kind of eager to talk to 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 Coach Patino here and and break down what he what he's into away from the game. So with that said, what is he into away from the game? Let's start with this horse racing. That's right. Rick Pitino is a racehorse owner, horse racing fan. So we get into it. We go deep. We talk about, you know, winning. He was in victory, uh, victory lane. Is that right? The winner circle, victory lane. I'm not even sure what it's called in uh, in horse racing, uh, but Rick was there <laughs> in a uh, in a race in California with a horse problematically named Party Dancer, which Rick is uh, pretty candid about. Total coincidence, according to him, that's actually a Tina Turner reference, so stay tuned for that story. Also talked about, is it his goal to come back and win the Derby? You know, Rick's history is, is so complex in Kentucky, and I grew up not far from Kentucky in southwestern Ohio, so I'm fully aware of it, and I was just wondering, like, is this your goal? Do you want to get back there, show up the whole state, come back in triumph? And it was interesting to hear him say Not really. You know, he's not in it to take over the sport of horse racing. Uh, He's just kind of dabbling in it, having fun, um, trying something new. So a real fascinating look at his motivations to come into this world and what's driving him. And then we go deep on Billions. That's right, the show Billions. Rick is a fan, a binge watcher, We go deep, you know, because Rick's, you know, part of this NCAA scandal is is these coaches, these schools being investigated by the same branch of government that Paul Giamatti's character works for in that show. So Rick, you know, a real different look at it now when you can kind of identify with with Axe and what that whole thing is like. So we talk about the show, his favorite lines, whether uh, coaches and uh, AAU guys and sneaker execs remind him of, uh, of show characters like Dollar Bill. Um, and it's a good side of Rick. It's 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 fun to hear him go deep on that. So Coach Patino, fascinating character in the world of college basketball and basketball in general. Enjoy the interview. It's a uh, you know it's it's a lot of fun. It was it was an interesting glimpse at at a complicated figure in sports. And then afterwards, I'll be back uh, with my distractions and to preview next week's episode. Stick around. Where I wanted to start was, I I, I thought it was really interesting. I was watching you on the Dan Patrick show and you talked about the adjustment that you have to make going from 16 hour days, nonstop travel to, uh, you know, moving beyond uh, your coaching career. And I just wanted to kind of revisit that real quick and just say, how has that adjustment been for you mentally to just go from always on to uh, trying to find, uh, you know, just new sources of inspiration and purpose with your day to day?
1: Well, it's difficult. It it very difficult in the beginning because you're in such a routine, and your your habits have already been formed. You get up at a certain hour, regardless of what time you go to bed. You're going to get up at six o'clock, five forty-five. Yeah. And now you have to program yourself because there's nothing to do until nine o'clock. <laughs> so you 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 try to exercise, you read, you do things that uh, pass the time. That being said, it, it it's an adjustment.
0: Horse racing has been a passion of yours for quite a while. Um, and so has that been a helpful transition because you already have a foothold in another uh, area of the sports world?
1: No, not really. I still only I, I, it was rare that I would see my horse run in person. So yeah. I got a chance now to see some some horse races where I would be there in person. But I, I try to go to the track on Saturdays in the wintertime. Uh, so I don't, I don't go any more, any less than I normally would. Uh, normally I'd watch it on, on TV, but now I get a chance to actually go.
0: What is it about that sport that drew you in? I've talked to other athletes, uh, Gary Player, for example, um, you know, who, who have been, you know, just who, who, who just love it, who, who find it to be a real thrill. Um, what drew you into horse racing besides just obviously being in Kentucky for so much of your career and, and I'm sure being around the pinnacle of the sport in America.
1: Well, it's like golf. You know, no, no matter how much you, as an amateur, no matter how much you play golf, you really can't master it. And mm. same thing with horse racing. You, you can't quite figure it out and you can't master it. It's, <laughs> uh, you, you, you know, people think they have these systems. They call them sheets. And, and you know, they they say the sheets, uh, the raggots sheets, they're a way of handicapping, giving the horse a number. So if he's running in the three paths. He gets a lower number than a horse that would run in the inside because he's running longer. So they take all the analytics of, say, horse racing, like we do in basketball, and they they put it into these sheets and these ragusan sheets. are supposed to be a big edge in picking winners. The professionals with the, who use these ragusan sheets aren't dressed like they have any money, uh, <laughs> and they they're not they're not drinking champagne. <laughs> so, uh, I just noticed one thing. There's no way to beat it, so it, it's it's a luck element. You go to it. It's a sport. It's very uh, competitive. I'm I'm into competition. I like competition, whether I'm playing two dollars in uh, in golf or or anything in life. I love competition. Good healthy competition, and it, it inspires me. And it, and it's it, it brings out a pressure I really really enjoy.
0: Well, Coach. First thing first. I mean, you you've always been a good dresser going back to the going back to the '80s. So that that may not be the most fair comparison. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd be I'd be looking great next to you either.
1: I, these these guys were not shopping with Brioni. I can assure <laughs> you that. <they're not. laughs>
0: you know, that said, you know you you are someone who has seen how analytics informed and ultimately you know forced change in one sport. Uh, so it's interesting to hear you talk about that analytics revolution in, in in horse racing how do you balance that skepticism with hey look we've seen it work in other areas what what can i do to get that edge and and what can i adopt and change in with my
1: mentality oh i'm very much into uh, analytics and i before it even before that word even came out uh yubi brown was using just about every statistical data to get an edge right and i even believe in horse racing the ragderson sheets in from a serious standpoint are this is a good thing to look at because people purchase horses by using the ragusan sheets. So if, if a horse runs a five on on the ragusan sheets, that a lot of people try to buy that horse. So they use it in the purchase of horses. And I believe in analytics and basketball very much. Um, it, it, it's 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 a way of of judging performance with not only individuals but with 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 a team. And the game has changed so much because there's no longer What I call triangle basketball, where the center is on the strong side and everybody cuts off the center. Today, there are no point guards and two guards and threes and fours and fives. Everybody now shoots a three. Everybody's on the perimeter. So the game has changed so dramatically that that analytics are an important factor.
0: So you've got this three-year-old party dancer, which I believe won in California just a few weeks ago. What what is the thrill of winning one of these races compared to? And no, look, I'm not comparing it to winning a national championship, and that's a whole different ball of wax, both from a relationship with your team perspective and the and the spotlight. But it's still, you know, you're competitive. So how do you how do you greet the, the just the the excitement and the thrill of of, of getting a victory as an owner versus uh, or you know in comparison to to you as a coach?
1: Well, the various thrills. That was just a maiden race. Obviously, we won a big race this year. We won the uh, Gulfstream Oaks, and that was a tremendous thrill. Uh, And then no bigger than we last year, we won a... uh, My partner and I won the member guest called the Little Pro at Bel Air Country Club out in the West Coast, and that was equally a thrill. So there are so many things uh, because of competition that if you win, it's really, really special. No more uh, winning a... A member guest in golf or a horse race it's it's equally the same but none of it compares to getting to a Final Four right uh, in basketball or, or winning an NBA championship or something of that stature because that's your that's your love that's your passion that's the other stuff are hobbies and and this certainly is your passions it's something you get up in the morning early and, and work at you were
0: always vocal on the sidelines are you screaming at your horse when they're when they're running
1: Oh, definitely. <laughs> what do you say? Scream, what do you scream? I scream at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I have a guy next to me who's a, a Saturday who has, brings out credit cards, and when we're, when my horse is in the lead, I'll say, block it, and he'll block the horse behind me from coming on with his credit card. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look, I, 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 I'm not going to dwell on this. I, the the name party dancer, people were making fun of it, thinking it was some sort of uh, connection or 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 slight at at this stuff with Louisville. It was. It seemed like you you responded. It seemed like it was a coincidence. But I felt bad because I, I you had said a, to a reporter, you know, I can't even enjoy this race without everyone sort of piling on and tying it back to that. So do do you feel like? you'll get to a point where as the transition window becomes longer that, that, you know, your horse racing career won't always be sort of looped back to whatever's going on with, with your basketball career.
1: Yeah. They, you know, my owner named that horse. He, I never met, the, uh, we were 50% partners. I never met the gentleman. He didn't know anything about basketball coaching. He named that horse that because he loved Tina Turner. It was the <laughs> fourth name. It was actually the fourth name he put in to try and get something that reminded him of Tina Turner. Yeah. So I had nothing to do with it. And it didn't even dawn on me when we won the game. Uh, it should have, but it did not. And, you know, you, you, they hit me with that right away. And You know, when I left basketball and I said, I'm not going to coach again, there's three things I'm in search of. And I am in search of it because I haven't found it. One is mo- I, I want to motivate people, motivate young people to reach their potential. I'm not sure how to do it yet. Uh, what venue or what vehicle I'm going to use to do that. The second thing I want to do is have fun. I've, I've missed out a lot uh, by coaching seven days a week and really getting into the sport. And third thing I want to do is is expand my horizons a little bit, do some things I've never done before. I'm, I'm in good shape. God, <laughs> I thank God for that. Um, I work out a lot. and i like to do some things I've never tried before.
0: Right. Now, look, I've been to a couple of Kentucky Derbies in my life, it's an amazing scene. I'm sure that uh, clearly, you know, with with deep roots in the state, that race means something to you. And and I just wonder, given your you know deep connections to both of the big schools um, there and the fan bases and and sort of the complicated dynamics of all of that, what is winning the Derby your ultimate sort of prize? It, 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 and what would it mean to you to be in the winner's circle at, at that venue specifically?
1: Well, I've had two horses in the Derby, but to be perfectly honest with you, it's it's really not that significant or important to me. Uh, first of all, I, I think it's very difficult to get to a Kentucky Derby. Right. So it's not something I really look at. And, and it really doesn't mean a whole lot to me to run a horse in the Kentucky Derby or to win the Kentucky Derby. That would not be a goal of mine um, because, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in search of new horizons and, and fun. And, you know, sometimes going back to a place where you've coached, where this their ex- bitter rivals is not a whole lot of fun, so right. uh, I, I think I would I would look at for other things right now. Is the Derby is not I'm really not looking at conquering horse racing. I guess <laughs> uh, I, I I will look at having fun with horse racing. And meet. the best part about horse racing is the Damon Runyon characters you come across. Uh, you could sit there with a bag of popcorn, watch these characters all day long, watch them swear, watch them yell, watch them laugh, and and you, you leave. And, and it's just so funny the excuses they make and the could kind of would have. And, 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 and you just laugh the whole day. I went home last week and I just sat by myself and started laughing. And my wife walked in and said, You're sitting there laughing by yourself? And I and said, What are you watching on TV? I said, I'm not. I'm laughing at what happened at the racetrack today with these characters, and uh, it's so hard to explain to these people because what they go through the day at the races from throwing things at the screen, yelling at the screen, guys yelling, "You're the best, best jockey in the world." He has a five lanes, best, you're the best. You're the best. And then somebody catches him at the wire. You know,
0: worst,
1: <laughs> and, <a junkie. laughs> Let's see. and I just started laughing.
0: You mentioned, uh, you mentioned that you're not trying to conquer horse racing. Um, and, and but is it is is it possible for you, having having operated at the highest levels of of sport, is it easy to be in a sport and just be doing it for fun, for a thrill?
1: Horse racing is something you can't beat. You know, you can beat a race. Uh, If you're gambling in horse racing, you can beat a race, but you can't beat the races. If you stay there for nine days, you're going to lose. It's like going into a casino. You you may, on one given night, you may win, but if you stay three or four nights, you're not going to win. So from a gambling standpoint, you're not going to win in horse racing. Now, if you're trying to make money from owning horses, um, you're not going to win either. The only way you're going to win is on the breeding (laughs) side. Right, right. If you get a horse that's good enough for the breeding shed, which is like hitting the lottery, then you have a chance. But horse racing just has to be a fun hobby. You can't lose a whole lot of money with it because if you invest a whole lot of money, you're going to lose a lot of money. So if you buy a horse for for $50,000, you you need to get 10 partners and have some fun, but you can't own it yourself because that's $100 a day plus plus, uh, medicine if they need it.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I want to talk about the book here, but first, you're, the other thing your team mentioned that you're you're into, and you you mentioned uh, like the characters, of the racetrack. They said you're a big fan of the show Billions, so I got to yes. ask you, w- w- what would you think of the most recent season? And 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 did you w- were you able to sort of sit down and just watch it stress free, or, or or what's your relationship with the show like?
1: Well, it's a chapter in my book, which is interesting, but uh, and it's the Southern District of New York is one of the reasons I was fired. Um, so it's it's. It, <laughs> There is a strong correlation there, but I, I I like the show. The interesting thing about the show, the, the British actor who is in Homeland. Yeah, uh, Damien Lewis. He, he, he's, not, he's not a New Yorker, but he does a great job pretending to be. Um, the typecasting of, of, of him is, and he's a brilliant actor, don't get me wrong, but he's not a New Yorker. He, he doesn't fit that totally if you're from New York. You, you would understand it if you're from New York. Um, but the show is great because you know it's going on, you know, not to that, to that level, but you know it's going on.
0: Who are you rooting for? Bobby or Chuck? Like who, who do you side with? Well, now they're partners. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> Which is it? Well, um, Paul Giamatti is, is brilliant. Also the acting is tremendous. I, I, lo- I love every character in it. Um, you know, I, I, I root against, Right now, I'm rooting against the Southern District in New York. Whatever they do, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I mean, do, do, with that, with those shows that that portray high octane, successful people. I mean, look, you're you're someone who I think people would say, uh, you know, that's the lifestyle you led for a long time. You know, you know, you're constantly grinding, searching for success. Do you identify with a character like Bobby? Not from a breaking the rules perspective but from a feeling of it's a it's a you're in a a a, a difficult challenging environment you know the hardest workers are you know uh, need to also blend with shady characters like do do you find anything with that character that you say yeah I get it I get I get how he's he's a he's a both a villain and a hero of the show
1: yeah I guess so you know I'm the one um you can take an edge in something like the three point shot is a big edge in basketball when it first was put in for me. You, you can certainly take an edge in certain things, but it would be like horse racing. You, you, if you can get an edge by um, doing something special with the horse in terms of training, uh, but if, if you use a drug or, or something like that, you'd be totally against it. Well, it's the same thing that if, you, if you're using illegal means to make money, then to, you're not doing anything that's, that's up to the pressure of the moment. But by that, I mean, is you know, I always say pressure is a great thing. We love it. All competitors love pressure. It's what we live for. But the moment you cheat and the moment you bring stress on yourself with that, then, then it's not fun anymore. The pressure's, uh, pressure that's your ally now becomes your enemy because stress comes into play. And that's what he, he's always under stress. <laughs> you know, in that movie, he's always under stress because he does things the wrong way. Ultimately, he, he may w- make a lot of money, but you can see in the show he's not overly happy.
0: Now, how many assistant coaches did you run into in the in the in the world that remind you of Dollar Bill? <laughs> 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 uh,
1: you know, not so much assistant coaches, but uh, AAU guys, characters out there. Yeah, uh, in the old days, they were called bird dogs, scouts for colleges, uh, agents. Uh, a lot like Dollar Bill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, my goal, my goal in this interview is to to get you to start dropping Dollar Bill quotes, like "I'm Kaiser Soze, motherfucker," or something like that, Coach. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I'm going to
1: do that. <laughs> you know, it's it's such a it's such a the characters in that are priceless because you know in horse racing you come across these characters all the time. But they don't have the money of of the billions, you know, yeah, right. Billions are doing well, but the the, (laughs) it's almost like what was the name of that show where uh, oh, it was the Pope of Greenwich Village. The guy is getting ready to go through a toll booth and he's on his way to the racetrack and he tells him, um, Mickey uh, Michael Rock, he says to him, Give him the five, let him keep it. And he says, You're going to give him five dollars, it's a dollar toll. He said, Give him the five, and he takes the five, and on the way back. They don't even have enough money for the toll to or to eat. And he goes through the toll booth and he says, Should I give him the five? He said, What are you crazy? All our money? We got more food to eat. It's a lot different than what you see on billions because they're dealing with so much money every single day.
0: So what's that show get right and wrong about New Yorkers?
1: Well, you know, obviously it's an exaggeration of, of what Wall Street is really like, but I, I think there's so many people um in the show that have that type of wealth on Wall Street. Um, there's no question about it that people have you know forty fifty million dollar homes in the Hamptons and they have artwork worth millions of dollars, and you know they're running these hedge funds and they're flying out their private helicopters. so there is truth to the lifestyle that they live, but you know it's 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 the way they go about it, probably in today's world is not going to happen.
0: You got any predictions for how this show is going to end like who who comes out on top or, or where do you see it going?
1: I'm not sure, you know. I'm not sure. I, I think they had a great marriage before, and I don't know what happened there. You know, it, it really didn't. You know, they they broke up. They were perfectly, you know, the tough Irish girl with him, and and uh, I loved her character too. She took no nonsense from anyone, uh, and obviously, I love the uh, Paul Giamatti's wife, who's uh, got a dark side to her, and but she's a she, she's great in me in the show as well. I don't know how it's going to end. You know, I, I, I when I was on the book tour last week, the producer of the show, or director, is a, a fan of basketball, and uh, the guy I was talking to said, "Listen, we, we'd like to introduce you to him." I said, "I'd love to meet him," and so I'm going to get a chance this summer, uh, the end of the summer, actually, to uh, say hello.
0: So you mentioned the book tour, the book, my story. I mean, it. it you, you, I've heard you say that. um, You know, I've heard you say that you wrote the book to get closure because you don't feel like you're going to coach again. So. Do you feel like the closure is there? Do you feel the, a sense of completion, or was it challenging to sort of have to relive like a lot of the beats of your coaching career and your philosophies? And, and are you still sort of, you know, finding those things lingering as, as you're trying to move forward here?
1: No, I enjoyed that aspect of writing a book, the, you know, go, taking a trip down memory lane. I enjoyed that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to start podcasts in October, mid October. First one's going to be with Billy Donovan. Um, going to have Derek Jeter. I'm going to have a lot of really good guests on that, and, and that'll take up a lot of my time. So I'm trying to fill my time, and and the book filled up my time.
0: So you're you, podcasting, huh? You get into my neck of the uh, of the industry here. What? Why? Why start that interview series?
1: Uh, I'm just again trying to get into some things where I'm still involved in sports, uh, and I, I don't want to just waste the day completely. I want to have something that's important and that keeps me in the game, so to speak.
0: How much have you gauged a sense of the reaction to it? Do you, do you Have you followed that? Have you read the reviews? Do you listen to what people say about it?
1: No, I really don't. Uh, you know, you've, I think your friends are going to say, hey, it's a great read. really enjoy it. I think the people who are indifferent uh, are going to learn some things that they didn't know. And the people that don't like you are, are going to say, they're gonna not read the book, but they're gonna make pretend they read it, and they're gonna, they're <laughs> gonna cast dispersion. I just started Twitter, so I know the way this world works.
0: <laughs> How did you draw the line between kind of telling your side of events and and addressing? The, I think the frustrations you feel within the system. Look, I'm on the record. I I, I grew up in a college town. My my parents worked for. Uh, for for universities, I've got no love lost for how the NCAA does its business. A lot of times, I feel like it's draconian. So, did, did, where did you find the balance between sort of giving your honest take and read of the of the landscape as opposed to really just coming across like you're just bitter?
1: Well, I I, I try to to make suggestions with the NCAA, but I really don't have the answers. You know, when people say now the NCAA should let the players get paid, and and I say in the book that they should be able to sell their likeness. But I really don't have the answers to it all. I, I, I have suggestions, but I'm not sure my suggestions are even correct because, they the NCAA feels that athletes are getting paid. They give them a scholarship, room, blood, books, and tuition. They give them money in a Pell Grant and cost of attendance, which for some people, some players probably is ten grand a year. But why shouldn't a player be able to go and do a commercial? Because any student can do a commercial. Why shouldn't they be able to have an autograph signing? Um, you know, that's the Olympic model, but I I don't really have the answer because then someone's going to say, okay, uh, I can do a car commercial, I can get an automobile and then if I'm Alabama, I can get a Mercedes-Benz and the NCAA, as they say in the book, and I go after them pretty hard, I go go after them and and say basically that they're not proactive, they're reactive, they react to a crisis, but they should have known about the shoe industry coming into this and all the problems that were going to happened with the shoe industry and they just they just didn't they they know when you're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to universities and you're paying 100 100,000 150,000 to AAU programs you know it's going to be a problem and they just they just turned a blind eye to it all
0: I'd heard a couple of folks kind of say like uh, Mark Titus at the Ringer who who played had said you know I think some people were expecting it to be like what Jose Canseco's book was to major league baseball which was a real throwdown Lots of finger pointing, lots of name, you know, names coming out. So I, I, we, I think there was a speculation of how much were you going to give a peek behind the curtain to everything that you saw as a coach? Because I'm sure you ran into a number of scenarios or whispers or accusations over the years that people would
1: make about other coaches. I, I don't have any evidence of i give you a prime example. So in. Uh, I turn over all my text messages to the Washington Post, all my emails. Right. And then the university takes it trying to smear me because I'm in a fight by contract. They take a text message from this obscure person who's not in the business of basketball. And he says, hey, I hear Paul offered a kid $200,000, uh, the kid Bowen. I take it to my assistant coach and I said to him, you see this? What do you think? He said, I think it's BS. I said, why do you say that? Because the Paul's DePaul's not Kids never mentioned he has any interest in the poll, so I think it's yes. BS. Well, it turns out that the guy who said this to me, who's not into sports, uh, was friendly with an assistant coach who was fired there, and he has been in his foot to school. So the school, University of Louisville, says, Well, why didn't you go to compliance and turn this in? I said, I'd be turning in every major university in the country if I listened to gossip. And then if I tried to turn that in, I'd go to my compliance officer, and he'd say, Well, what proof do you have of this? I said, I have no proof. I just gossip with a guy who. Who texted me? He said, "That's all you have," and he'd laugh at me. So I don't have any evidence of any wrongdoing. Um, I, I have nothing but great respect for the game of basketball. And this book is really not about pointing fingers or blaming people or or doing things like this. Book is just the real story of my life in the game, uh, the the highs, the lows, and the circumstances behind it. it it's not to to cure the ills of basketball, but it's to point out here are the ills of basketball. I'm not sure about the solutions. I'm not sure that Condi Rice has the solution. Right. But it, it, it does point out the problems and how it all started with the shoe industry. You know, going back from, from the first Converse shoes you wore all the way up to today, the four brands that are doing battle now with Puma coming on the scene with Jay Z as the you
0: You wrote the book with you know with a partner do you have arguments about how to i mean i can't imagine doing like a book project with somebody else so was it you get are you sort of the the dictator you know sort of this is the way i want to do it's my story or or are you constantly sort of finessing and 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 negotiating the, the right way to articulate a certain point
1: no i'm the storyteller and he's the fact checker and he's the he's the person that finds out all about the back if you mention a person finds out all about the, for instance um uh, it's the start of of the shoe industry ha, ha, where did it really start when converse started what was the year it started and um yeah who what was the competition at that point so he's the person that does the research behind the story and and seth kaufman did a wonderful job
0: what's next for you now rick you said the podcast coming up what else what else should we be looking out from you
1: well that's that's the horizons I'm trying to uh trying to find right now it, to I really don't know. Um like I said I'm not into Twitter although I did start trying to feed just to the main focus of Twitter is to announce the podcast. Right. Um, and that's why I'm on that but I'm I'm not so, uh, active in that after the once the podcast come out.
0: Yeah, Twitter's a dumpster fire, Rick, man. If you if you're not on it now, don't don't jump in now. It's like getting into the uh the hot tub after someone pees in it, man.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I'm on it. And, and, and obviously, I don't read. I don't read. I, I text somebody what I want to say. He puts it out there. Uh, he gets all the, the grief and <laughs> from from the cesspool that it is. You've got a but Twitter assistant
0: I, coach, Rick. You got a Twitter I, assistant I, coach.
1: So he reads it all. Uh, he he gets rid of the people that we don't want. And but we're using it as a device. I, I actually am doing it because, like I said earlier, I'm I'm into motivation. I'm not going to change the millennials from, from trolling bad things. I'm not going to change them. But I do wish to bring something to the table that will motivate young people to get the most out of their potential, to let them know that there's no ceilings to how far they can go in life, whatever passion they have, if they do the correct things, if they have a strong work ethic, if they obviously live on a one-day contract, they don't look too far ahead. And there, there are so many pitfalls that young people fall into. You know, they're all... It's like Harvard Business School. The, when they graduate from Harvard Business School, they want to start in the middle. They don't want to start at the bottom and work their way up. Right. And, and you know, you can't be that way. Millennials, don't, they want to start in the middle, and you can't start that way. You have to be a graduate assistant. You have to work for no money. And I, I try to tell young coaches today, don't take a job for money. You know, they're going to they're gonna leave one job that's a great job for $50,000 more, and it's don't do that. I said chase winning. Look at jobs where you can win, beat your competition, and then money will chase after you as if it's your shadow.
0: Well, look, we tell everyone to check out the book. We can't wait for the podcast. Now, if you name the podcast "Party Dancer," no more coincidence talk. All right, like
1: now it's it's called Patino Press.
0: All right. I'm I'm into it, and uh, when can we expect that? The later this fall, later this year. On uh,
1: October 16th, I'm gonna have Billy Donovan as my first guest.
0: Amazing. Well, well, Coach, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck in the horse racing world and in filling the that schedule with fun stuff.
1: The Thanks so much. Take care.
0: And we are. Back okay. A long tradition on Just Not Sports has been to end our show with distractions. You know, we think of athletes and coaches as uh, these robotic, uh, you know, automatons just there to to watch film, break it down, live the sport. But it's the the, the things that we talk about as distractions their their personal passions, their interests. That's what interests me. And so every week on this show, we celebrate. Distractions by talking about what uh, you know, what's in my life that that's getting me going, and, and where I'm going to start right now is Hamilton. That's right. I don't know if you guys have heard. There's this play, Hamilton. It's a bit of an underground thing. Not too many people uh, know about it. Uh, I turned late 30s <laughs> recently, and my wife grabbed me and said. I'm taking you downtown. We're gonna see Hamilton in Chicago. I'm like, all right, you know, Gareth. You know, Gareth used to talk this play up all the time. Andrea Kramer came on a couple weeks ago. She was like, I'm all aboard the uh, cult of Hamilton. Vern Lundquist uh, talking about Hamilton uh, with us a year ago. I'm not gonna lie, man. Show blew me away. Like, absolutely blew me away. I was singing the songs, leaving the show. I'm a big history buff. I was so impressed with how they pulled through the, the, the nitty gritty historical details of, um, of of Hamilton. I mean, it's it's not quite the 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 Chernow uh, tomb, much more faithful than I was expecting. I was kind of expecting like a Les Mis style dramatization, and you know, when you when you're sitting there watching rap after rap unfold about uh, complicated uh, you know historical uh, nuances, it's actually kind of mind blowing. That said, I did pick up the uh, the Ron Chernow book uh, on which uh, Lin Manuel Miranda um based the, the show. I'm gonna be diving into that over the next few weeks. So uh, if you see me on the street and you want to uh, and you want to talk Hamilton uh, uh, stage or uh, or bio, um, I'll be around. Okay, so that's distractions. Let's look forward to next week. Next week on the show, joining us is someone that I've had a uh, An interest in having on the show forever, Eddie George. I was in Ohio when Eddie George was winning the Heisman Trophy in the mid-90s when he was tearing up the game. Uh, One of the first games I ever went to for the Bengals uh, back in the day, I got to see Eddie George running the ball for the the Houston Oilers back then, (laughs) soon to become the Tennessee Oilers, soon to become the Tennessee Titans. And I just have always been a big fan of, of Eddie on the field, but off the field, especially. This guy is the quintessential renaissance man, and someone we've talked about on the show in the past. Uh, you know, He's been on Broadway with the show Chicago. He's done uh, acting across the rock and ballers. He's done uh, you know all sorts of interesting business things, uh, like a landscape architecture firm. Now he's in the wealth management game. Uh, he's just a guy who's got a zeal for life, who loves pursuing his passions. And and I got to talk to him a little bit about, yes, Hamilton, because I said, dude, I just saw Hamilton. You'd be a perfect George Washington. And he goes, I actually auditioned for it not long ago. (laughs) And I got him to, uh, roll out with the part. Take a listen. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, Lin-Manuel is a uh, a listener. If you want to give me some George Washington, if you still know it, you know, <laughs> hit me with it. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, uh, can I be
1: real a second? for just a millisecond, let down my guard and tell the people how I feel a second. Now I'm the model of a modern major general, the venerated Virginian veteran whose men are all lining up to put me up on a pedestal, writing letters to relatives, embellishing my elegance and eloquence. But the elephant is in the room. The truth is in your face. When you hear the British cannons go boom, any hope of success is fleeting. How can I keep leading when the people I lead keep retreating? We put a stop to the believing, as the British take Brooklyn, Knight takes Brooklyn. But look, <laughs>
0: <laughs> man, that's great with no, no, no prompting. Hey, <laughs> <had> no. <laughs> <laughs> How'd
1: you um, not get that?
0: How'd you not get that, man? I don't know. I guess I wasn't tall enough, man. My <laughs> live skills aren't good. I was not too smooth, man. So I'm telling you right now, an all athlete version of Hamilton. I'm game. I'm down. I'm front row opening night. In fact, I'm probably I'm probably producing that show. I'm probably executive <laughs> executive producing that show. If I'm just being honest, no one else will. But Eddie George, so much fun! I can't wait for you to hear that episode. We get all we get in we get into all the different things that he's into, from business to acting to how he's merging business with acting, uh, to exercise to yoga to whatever. So super fun. Tune in next week for that. Thank you for listening to uh, the first episode of this season. Thank you for coming back. Uh, Thank you to Rick Pitino. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. And in the immortal words of rapper extraordinaire, Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers stay booty.